Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. This is Jira Taylor, your host, and this is episode 77. This is part three. Uh, what's coming up is part three of a six-part series, which is designed to help anybody, whether you're advanced or whether you have never done it before, to help anybody get a more out of a meditation practice, to start a meditation practice, to deepen a meditation practice, and to get the most from it. So flow state, uh, what exactly is it? Well, what exactly is the flow state performance podcast all about and connected to? There's two avenues or two tributaries of, of what I create through uh, flow state and flow tribe flow tribe is a tribe a global tribe of people who are all on this quest to understand flow to experience more flow and to do what is required to do what i call live in the flow of life this is all about self-awareness training uh, deep mastery of things like meditation connection with nature rewilding and we run uh, learning journeys and retreats flow state is a boutique consultancy that helps organizations become more conscious and we guide founders and entrepreneurs on learning journeys from which higher purpose emerges. So that's just a little introduction as to what we do. Um, I guess I want to give you a little bit of an insight and in what's going on in Flow State headquarters. I'm currently in the sun, on the Sunshine Coast of Australia, packing up the treehouse. We're about to go on a quest overseas um, to go and uh, share, I guess, the message of flow and higher consciousness over in Europe. Um, and then in Bali, I'm going to do some work with some clients over in Germany and uh, going to just hang out and surf and explore and enjoy uh, being in being in Europe in summertime. So before, without any further ado, let's uh, dive into this week's uh, podcast. And uh, yeah, I guess before we do that, just a final reminder that if you have any questions about meditation, if there's anything that you're struggling with, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at jiro at flowstate.co. I'd be more than happy to uh, give you some advice. All right, enjoy the show. I'm going to start this week's episode with a quote from a Zen monk called Zenji Dogen. He says, There are thousands upon thousands of students who have practiced meditation and obtained its fruits. Do not doubt its possibilities because of the simplicity of the method. If you cannot find the truth right where you are, where else do you expect to find it? I love that quote. That really helps me to understand that it's that meditation is not a destination to get to. It's actually the art of just finding the truth right where you are, tapping into the depths of what you are and why you are. And that's what this practice is all about. So I hope that you are actually meditating. <laughs> We're going on a journey together. I've done two weeks or so far where we've set the foundation on week one. We had a little bit of an introduction to meditation and mindfulness. Last week, uh, we got more into the science of the stress response, the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. If you haven't listened to episodes one and two, I suggest you go back and listen to them because this is week three. We're on a journey together. And I really suggest that the, the, the best way to get the most out of this journey is to actually meditate every day during this six-week journey or 12-week journey because these episodes are coming out every two weeks. So the theme for this week is understanding the two minds. Uh, we're going to learn about the thinking mind and we're going to learn about the aware mind or what I sometimes call pure awareness. But before we get into that, let's focus on some of the common issues faced by meditators at this stage of the journey. 
So many people feel a sense of disappointment that they can't quite notice any awesome effects or change uh, from meditating. And I think it's important to note that, first of all, this is a long-term journey. And secondly, mindfulness and meditation, it's not supposed to feel nice or pleasant. It's not supposed to be all unicorns and rainbows and you're supposed to go into these transcendent states. That's often uh, what emerges as a side effect, but that's not the purpose. So this, this is all about becoming present to what is actually happening in our embodied experience, how we react to what is going on, whether it's the good, the bad, or the ugly. And how we react to this essentially defines our neural pathways and our habitual responses. So meditation is about uh, practicing, it's the seated meditation, uh, creating time, 10, 15, 20 minutes, 60 minutes, two hours, whatever you can do so that we can become more mindful, meditative, aware in our daily lives. And in our lives, we, we are going to face greater happiness and contentment, but we're also going to become more aware to the depths of our sadness and the true feelings that emerge from grief and anger and things like that. So I just want to say these words to sort of, um, I guess... And deconstruct some of the cultural myths um, or, the, or the thoughts that you might have around meditation that it's supposed to be a certain way. That's not the case. Uh, the simple fact is that in this life we have happiness and joy, but we also have grief and anger and sadness. And we're actually training ourselves to become more aware of the entire spectrum of the human experience. This is not a tool to make us feel good in the immediate moment. In fact, anything that we habitually turn to to feel good in the immediate moment is probably an addictive substance or habit that you should be careful of. And because addiction is fundamentally when you fill a hole with pleasant experience. But when we practice mindfulness and meditation, we become the whole. We get in the hole so that we can heal the whole. Very big difference there. We're not filling the hole mindlessly. So you may also be dealing with some sort of resistance, um, like boredom, restlessness, impatience, sleepiness. This is normal. You've got to expect this. You're creating a new habit. Meditation is about patiently dealing with resistance. And that's where the change and the healing comes from. So just in quick review of the main themes last week, we spoke about the stress response. I want to know whether you've become more aware of the stress response. Shoot me an email, zero at flowstate.co. Have you noticed when you've been going into a fight or flight response, have you noticed the gap uh, developing, the sacred pause, I call it, between stimulus and response? Have you been aware of the beautiful state when you're not in the stress response? Um, one thing I also wanted to stress, this is coming from the feedback from a friend of mine, a shout out to Narayana Orchard, if you're listening. Um, but he was keen to point out that uh, meditation is not actually only about putting you into a uh, rest and recover state, uh, into a parasympathetic state. Meditation can also uh, put you into a sympathetic state. It can also put you into a state of uh, unease and um, because the path of meditation is going to guide you, allow you to tap deeply into your unconscious. And there may well be repressed trauma um, and wounds uh, that have been buried deeply in your unconscious. And by going through this process of navigating through your consciousness, and you may well um, come across and stimulate or evoke memories, uh, trauma, and this may, in fact, put you into a 
um, a state of fight or flight. So that kind of aligns with this uh, this thing that I've been talking about, how it's not supposed to necessarily be a uh, a pleasant experience. It's supposed to be an experience of deepening awareness of what is there so that we can bring it out, so that we can embark, embark upon the healing process. Healing comes from becoming aware of something, experiencing it through our bodies, and we're going to talk more about this. So let's get into the two aspects of mind. So what I'm calling them uh, are one, the thinking mind, um, and secondly, the aware mind. So the, the thinking mind is goal-orientated. It's a problem-solving mechanism. It's a wonderful, powerful thing. Uh, used creative and creatively and skillfully, this mind gives us unbelievable potential for growth. But it's just like a Swiss army knife. It's not going to be much good painting a landscape or expressing our love for someone. Our thinking and mind, our thinking mind is great for some things, but it's really not the optimal system for um, many things. For, and it's not the optimal system for much of what we try to use it for through habit. So the thinking mind is awesome at memory, imagining, visioning, um, judging, evaluating, comparing, analyzing, interpreting, labeling, categorizing things. And it's great for logic and reason. It's great for recalling things, for rehearsing things, for speculating, for anticipating and expecting. It's amazing. So we have this thing called excessive thinking, and this is quite obvious when we overuse or abuse the thinking mind. So when we have this habit of narrow focus attention uh, dominated by thinking we have excessive thinking and when we're stressed our minds slip into this state um, and it's sort of like what some people call monkey mind we, we jump from thought to thought and it's random and chaotic so when we're in the stress mode our internal uh, soundtrack or commentary is much more likely to be judging critical controlling and reactive and you're much more likely to notice the mind jumping from thought to thought. I don't know how scientists have found this, but they have found that our mind wanders nearly 50% of the time. And some neuroscientists have speculated, I don't know again how they've done this, that we have up to 90,000 thoughts a day. And 95% of them apparently are pretty much the same thoughts we had yesterday. So... My point is that this type of thinking is not creative. It's not the sort of focused thinking that leads to amazing decision making. Um, it's actually repetitive. It's it's the sort of soundtrack, the the endless uh, chitter chatter of hopes and wishes and dreams and worries and judgments that habitually recycle through the mind until we learn for them not to habitually recycle through the mind. So if you ever noticed old bits of songs, random conversations, the old memory of the ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend, old TV shows, in fact, anything that distracts you from the present moment, this is what I'm calling the monkey mind. So we, we use memory to hold on to stories and we use imagination to project our attention in time and space away from the present moment to other places. And this is great when we're intentionally doing it, but it can also just become almost like an addictive uh, default mode where we're just obsessing with past and we're obsessing with future. 
uh, without much consciousness or intention about it. Um, so what happens, and certainly in my experience, when I've been um, in these states of monkey mind, I judge. I judge myself. I judge other people. I I'm constantly in that sort of comparison mindset. Um, and I'm sort of living in this illusion of good or bad, right or wrong, uh, whether I like something or dislike something. And I'm basically just reinforcing past ways of seeing things. There isn't an originality and a freshness to it. I'm basically just living from um, the way that I've been conditioned in the past. And this is when, when we live in this way, if we haven't created uh if we haven't become really conscious of this pattern, we can catastrophize. We can make mountains out of molehills. It's like, reminds me of that Mark Twain uh, quote. He wrote, I am an old man and have known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. And I think you can probably relate to that. The amount of drama and grief we cause ourselves uh, by getting locked into this state of mind where we are... Uh, dramatizing the future, catastrophizing, whether we're blowing things out of proportion, but actually it's got nothing to do with reality. The amount of stress that that causes is unbelievable. So, yeah, we get stuck in these patterns of judgmentalness and self-righteousness, and this is when we're living from stories that have been written in the past. If you're stuck in patterns of worry and anxiety, you're living in stories that have yet to be written in the future. It's kind of crazy. It's when we have this sort of anxiety and worry, this is little more than negative visualization. Um, and as we'll learn later on in this mini series, what you visualize is very, 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 very powerful. It's, uh, it's highly likely to actually manifest in your life. So what causes this type of excessive thinking that I'm talking about? Well, it's created by stress and it creates more stress. Um, it's the, the, the most damaging type of thinking creates, when this sort of thinking goes into overdrive, we feel blame and resentment, we have guilt, we feel shame, there's perfectionism, um, we become inflexible, we become defensive, we become reactive, we become helpless. Um, it's not good stuff. So why do we do it? Um, well, this is just very primal stuff where when we excessively think we're, our mind is trying to protect us, to defend us. It's concerned with protection, fight or flight, keeping us alive. It's not concerned. Um, it's, it's more concerned with these things than it is with maximizing um, the quality of our life. It's, it's just in protective mode. And Eckhart Tolle has this wonderful quote uh, about the, the right kind of use of our thinking mind. He says, the mind is a superb instrument if used rightly. But if used wrongly, it becomes very destructive. To put it more accurately, it's not so much that you use your mind wrongly. You usually don't use it at all. It uses you. This is the disease. You believe that you are your mind. This is the delusion. The instrument has taken you over. So this thinking mind, it's got amazing potential for creation and manifestation through the powers of planning imagination and organization so it's not that thoughts are problematic the only thing to address is excessive thinking and excessive identification with these thoughts this is when we're just spinning our wheels uh, hurting ourselves so what exactly can we do about this um, well the first step 
of course, is uh, to become aware. The first step to any kind of freedom or growth is awareness. When you can become aware of your excessive thinking and the programmed, uh, pre-packaged nature of these thinking habit, habits, then you've taken an amazing, powerful step forward to, to freedom. If this doesn't happen, you're never going to be free. You're going to continue to live life with the same recurring mental states controlling your reality. This is very sad if that were to happen. So we've got to become aware of this pattern. So for many people, it, it kind of comes as a breakthrough to realize that the monkey mind, it's not tamed by fighting it or by trying to eliminate thoughts. This would be a very bad idea that, that this hope would just trigger more thoughts and trigger more thoughts and trigger more thoughts until you're just going round in circles trying to kill your thoughts with thoughts. So instead of fighting excessive thoughts with thoughts, we approach them with acceptance. So we heal our monkey mind through the application of patience with gentleness by persevering with this practice of mindfulness. We gradually learn the difference between thinking and awareness and the changes just begin to naturally occur. As we become more mindful in life, as we become more mindful with, of our daily habits, as we become mindful and aware of the conditioning in our consciousness, we become free. We allow ourselves to become aware of the pattern and we find out the root of these patterns, of these judgments, which, by the way, uh, usually or always a distraction from our own fears and insecurities and so therefore we find the root of our fears and insecurities and then we can acknowledge them we can accept them we can say hey i see you fears and insecurities we can face up to them and then guess what we can start the healing process we can do something about them and another Eckhart Tolle quote which uh, sums this up what a feeling no, he doesn't say that. He says, what a liberation to realize that the voice in my head is not who I am. Who am I then? I am the one who sees that. So I'm just going to talk about some antidotes, some very practical measures for dealing with excessive thinking. If you have identified that you're an excessive thinker, then this is where you're going to want to listen. So each moment in life is a choice point. We can either choose to just stay on this path of reactive, conditioned, prepackaged behavior, or we can choose a new path of becoming present to how each moment shows up. So one of my teachers talks about the sacred pause, and this is the moment between stimulus and response. This sacred pause is powerful. This is a moment of endless, infinite possibility. Uh, this is a chance to create a new pattern of thought. This is a chance to create the new. And this is a chance to um, put into our consciousness the uh, patterns which are going to serve our highest goals. So anything that involves connecting with yourself, with others and nature, is not, doesn't actually require very much thinking. Anything involving a lightness of being, a spontaneity, a creativity requires very little thinking. So see if you can notice this week how frequently you think when it's just not needed, when you could simply just allow there to be space, when you could allow there to uh, just be the space from which intuition and instinct take action from. So some practical ways to deal with excessive thoughts. First of all, this choice, the simple choice to be present. I use the breath. When I find myself thinking a lot, 
when I find myself in a moment between thoughts, I remind myself when, when incidentally, when I, when I look at my uh, devices and it says 1111 or, or 222, for some reason I've created this conditioned response to take a deep breath. I choose to be present in that moment. Another way is to become aware of senses. I love this word sensuality. It's got this lusciousness to it when simply it's becoming aware of our senses. Um, becoming aware of our feelings. What do we feel in the moment? I like to ask people that I work with, how are you feeling? And before they answer, I say, go deeper. Go deeper than the habitual response. And this is a great inquiry for us. Ask yourself, how are you feeling? In fact, how are you feeling right now? How are you actually feeling? If you actually have to dig and find the actual truth of how you're feeling right now. For me, I'm feeling hungry on that physical level. I'm feeling peaceful. I'm feeling focused. How are you feeling? I'm feeling excited. I've got lots of friends coming over in about an hour to come and play. We're going to sit around a fire. We're going to make some music. I'm feeling excited about that. How do you feel right now beneath the surface level response? And finally, my favorite, absolute number one way to deal with excessive thought, connect with nature. Jump in the ocean, hug a tree, go for a walk in a forest, allow nature to heal your overthinking mind. And also there's fun and laughter and movement and exercise and music, all of these things, all of these ways, it's beautiful ways to bring us into the present moment, practicing art, these are, so the best way to deal with excessive thinking is simply learning to become aware of what is happening in the present moment. And I'm going to give uh, the, the third quote from the man, Eckhart Tolle. If you haven't read The Power of Now or The New Earth, then please do. They're powerful books. But he says, you cannot be both unhappy and fully present in the now. Let that one sink in. You cannot be both unhappy and fully present in the now. That's huge. Think about that. Next time you're unhappy, you are not fully present in the now. Next time you feel judged or, or slandered or hurt or in pain, you cannot be fully present in the now. Think about that. I want you to, if you want to challenge that, come back to me on that one. But I want you to experience that in your life experience, whether you can simultaneously be unhappy and fully present. And I, my challenge to you is that you cannot. You cannot be both unhappy and fully present in the now. Because when you're fully present in the now, when you're, when you're in that sensual state, when you're, when you're fully aware of your breath, what emerges for me is just like this feeling of peacefulness. So before we finish this, um, this week's episode, I want to talk about breath. I love breath. I have a deep relationship with my breath. Breath to me is life. It's the interface between life and death. It's beautiful. I explore it through free diving. I explore it in everyday life. I use it as a gateway to the present moment. Ancient cultures revere breath in a way that our culture does not. When we talk about chi, prana, spirit, these are all words that describe our energy and the energy of all life, but they also describe our breath. The two are the same. Breath is real. It's present it's powerful our breath is effortless when we breathe we connect to life we connect to our life force we connect to the life force that flows through us breath 
therefore, is a gateway to flow. Through the breath, we connect with our natural environment. We breathe in what the trees breathe out. And through watching our breath, we become aware of the intimate connection between our body and the, out, the outside environment, the flow of life. So mindfulness of breath, i.e. becoming aware, becoming present to the, the beautiful subtleties of breath. This is a powerful tool used for thousands of years by many different cultures. And I really suggest that you use your breath as a tool, as an ally. It's been a significant part of my transformation practice. And it can be just for a few seconds or it can be for many minutes. But um, what I suggest you do this week as a little bit of practice is, first of all, to practice becoming aware of your breath in random moments when you're waiting in line for a, for a bus, when you're waiting for the kettle to boil, um, before you go to sleep at night, upon waking up, become aware of your breath. And as a sort of bonus practice, become a, start working with uh, changing your breath. What happens when you take deeper breaths? What happens when you hold your breath on the inhale? What happens when you hold your breath on the exhale? Start to become familiar with the different textures and tapestries and different avenues of, of, of breath. This is an endless path. You could spend your whole life exploring the, the finer and finer subtleties of your breath. And I really believe that this is a path to the most profound levels of liberation and freedom. Um, it might sound, not sound like it, but trust me, it is. So if you want to find a uh, meditation on breath, you can go to my personal website. It's www.jirotaylor.com. That's J-I-R-O taylor.com forward slash guided dash meditations. And track number four is a breath meditation. Um, if you don't want to do a guided meditation, then what I suggest is lying down one hand on chest, one hand on belly and practice breathing in a way where your belly hand rises before your chest hand. Just practice going through different levels of depths and uh, yeah, just see what happens when you start holding, holding your breath. I personally use breath holds as part of, my, uh, part of my practice, whether it's calming myself down, whether it's to become more present, whether it's to shift into a flow state. I use breath holds um, every single day of my life. Um, Awesome. That brings us to the end of this episode, uh, which was part three of this six-part series, Meditation as a Tool for Living in the Flow of Life. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Please shoot me an email if you have any questions at all, Jiro at the flowstate, uh, flowstate.co. Uh, please go to flowtribe.co if you want to check out our retreats and our learning experiences. We run flow pods, which are journeys, uh, co-learning journeys, where we take six people at a time through profound journeys, through mindfulness, meditation, learning how to harness, cultivate, and express energy and tap into the deepest levels of meaning and purpose in our life so that we can live our most beautiful, abundant, flowing lives possible. The next one will be coming up sometime around September. Right now, we're mid-journey. It's a beautiful experience. Many transformations happening right now. Sending you so much love um, and flow. Take care. Bye-bye.